Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au So good to be in church and uh, so good to gather together uh, with the church at large. You guys are amazing. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the same scripture we looked at last week. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, verse 14, uh, as always, we've been announcing a fair bit of uh, uh, prayer times that we have here at church. So I want to get, you, get uh, on board with that as well. Uh, Tuesdays between 12.30 and 1, uh, we, have a, we have a prayer meeting here at church. And if you, if you can come down to church, there's, there's, an, there's an amazing anointing if you come into the building itself. Uh, but we'd love to see you here. And there's a group of us that are praying. And, but if you can't get here, well, why don't you try and make that 12.30 to 1 slot work for you and take a lunch break, go for a walk and just spend some time in prayer. Pray for the church. Pray for the needs, and let's believe that God is going to move amongst us in the name of Jesus. We we can be united together as a church, even if we're not all in in the same building. So I want to encourage you to get on get on board with that. Nehemiah chapter four and verse fourteen, the Bible says this. This is the words of Nehemiah. After I looked things over, uh, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, "Don't be afraid of them. Don't be scared. Just remember the Lord who is great and awesome." Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your, and your homes. There are some things that are worth fighting for in Jesus' name. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you that you're going to speak today, Lord God. Father, let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this word. Forgive me of my sins. I thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Let our hearts be open, our ears be open to hear the word of the Lord in the midst of all the words that shall be spoken, Lord God. Let there be a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can hear with the ears of our heart, Lord God, we pray. I love you. We love you, Lord God. Be glorified today, I pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, so we're in a two-part series uh, on the subject, the promise. We're looking at this whole concept of how to build stronger relationships and stronger marriages and uh, how, how we can reverse the statistic that says that 50% of marriages end up in divorce. I think what's fascinating to me is that we're a society that has so much. We have, we have everything that we need. And yet one of the things that we seem to be lacking is, is good friendships and, um, and, and marriages seem to be struggling more than ever before. And um, we're watching a particular documentary with Lana on the centenarians, centenarians, the, you had to live over a hundred. Come on. Uh, we all want to live forever. Uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, so and one of the things that comes through there is relationship. It's connection. You want to you live over 100? Yes, it is a little bit about diet and a little, it is a little bit about exercise, but it's about connection. We, we need to find ways to connect with people because it's actually very powerful and very good for the, for the physical body as well. So the big question I guess we're looking at is how can we reverse that statistic of 50% of marriages ending up in divorce? I don't believe that when God uh, instituted marriage that he was thinking, well, it's going to fail. <laughs> We're going to do this thing called marriage, but it's not going to go well. Uh, 50% of them are going to go bankrupt. 
bust and the rest where they're just going to have to endure marriage, you know. And I'm, not, I'm sure that's not what God was thinking. I believe that when God said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. I believe that what he, what he, what he saw, what he had a vision of was husbands and wives loving each other and getting to know each other deeply and becoming best friends, having Challenges, but those challenges actually serving to bring them closer together. Uh, I believe God saw a version of happily ever after. Can I hear an amen? I, I, I believe it's a possibility through Jesus Christ and, and through a relationship uh, with, with Christ Jesus. Now, it is no secret that the family unit and the marriage is under attack like never before. It's always been under attack because the enemy knows how powerful marriage can be. We're living in a society that is systematically, steadily, relentlessly seeking to undermine uh, the family unit, the institution of marriage, the husband and wife relationship. Some of us think back in, back in Bible times that things were, were, were much, much better and, and, and than they are right now. Actually, things were probably worse. Um, uh, divorce was rampant. Uh, the, the family unit was, was, was a mess. And, and if, you, if you go and begin to read Paul's letter to the Corinthians and, and the letters that he was writing to the churches, uh, he was actually addressing some of these quite, quite difficult issues. But the reality is we're, we're, we're living in a society today where, where more than ever, there just seems to be this renewed attack on the family and on, and on marriage and in the husband and wife relationship. Some of you think the problem in your marriage is your spouse. They could just change. Come on, get with the program. Just do as they're told and everything would be great. Can I hear an amen? I mean, just come on. This is one of those times where you can look over to your spouse and just say, you know, be careful what you say. Um, make no mistake, however, that the battle is first and foremost a spiritual battle. That the battle in our homes, that the, the, the battle in marriage is first and foremost, the, the battle for decent relationships is first and foremost a spiritual battle. That's why Nehemiah's words are so important to us for today. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of what the government is doing, what society is doing, what the media is. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. Fight for your family. This isn't just something that's gonna happen naturally. It's something we need to fight for. Fight for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. To have a great marriage, we fight with spiritual weapons. Never underestimate the power of that. That's why first and foremost, we understand that there's a spiritual battle going on in our homes. And so we find a room and we begin to pray and we cry out to God and we seek the face of God. And, and that's why we set up a spiritual base. We talked about that last week. We pray for our spouse. We pray for our children. We pray for our family in the name of Jesus. And for those of you that are yet to be married, why don't you begin to pray for your spouses even by faith in Jesus' Name. We fight with spiritual weapons, we build on biblical values and we do the work required to build a godly home. Now, when it comes to marriage, there's just so much expectation and pressure out there. Hollywood, social media has created this unrealistic expectation of marriage. And the reality is, every good marriage is gonna go through some amazing times. That's a reality. Uh, you're going to go through some amazing times. There, there are some amazing things that, that, that you know, the friendship and the, uh, the connection that happens in marriage is just amazing. But there will also be tough times. Unexpected challenges, difficulties, pressures. He's not changing as fast as I thought he would. 
I knew there were a couple of things that needed to be fixed, but I just thought it would happen a lot sooner. She doesn't make the sauce like my mum used to make. Come on. Well, that's a problem. No, that's a serious problem. You need to get counselling for that. That needs to be addressed immediately. Um, those tough seasons will test the foundation and the strength of your relationship. Paul said to the church in Corinth, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Greek word for trouble is flipsis, which means to, to press together. And, and when you bring two people together with different personalities, backgrounds, values, values you have flipsis, you have trouble, sparks begin to fly, there's pressure is uh, applied. Then Paul says you, you have trouble. Um, You've heard me say many times, uh, problem isn't so much conflict, it's always how we deal with conflict. It's never about the conflict, it's always about how we deal with the conflict when it's dealt with in the right way. It has the capacity to bring people closer together, relationships closer together, to strengthen friendship and relationship. You've, told me, you've heard me say before, what we want in the context of relationships, it's intimacy, it's deep friendship, it's close friendship and the doorway to there is often conflict. We, we think it's going to just happen nicely. It's not going to happen nicely. To get where we want to go, we're going to have to go through that doorway of conflict. And every time we go through that doorway of conflict, that tunnel conflict, it's risky because you don't know if you're going to get to the other side of it. But when you deal with it in the right way and you do get to the other side, it gives us what we're looking for, deep friendship. But when dealt with in the wrong way, it leads to despair, bitterness and eventual separation. Every divorce that happens is because the conflict has not been resolved conflict uh, in the right way. People don't just separate because things are going well. Uh, usually there's some conflict that is unresolved and dealt with in a bad way and eventually it just leads to separation. So how do we deal with the tough times? How do we make sure that the conflict, the challenges don't undermine the relationships that we avoid that 50%? Statistic. Well, one of the things that's going to help us through those tough times is a promise. Said last week, the word promise comes from the Latin word promitere, which means pro, which means forward, mitere, which means to send, to place. And what we do when we're making a promise is the promise is not for today because today everything's going well, everything's going great. Couples share vows, which essentially are promises and everything's fine. Oh, you separate. That's the last thing that's ever going to happen to us. So I declare this promise. And the promise isn't for today, it's for the future. Because there may come a time, it's a recognition that there may come a time where I don't feel love for you anymore where my feelings may change, where it feels like it's too hard. And I vow, I declare, I promise that if I get there, this is what I'm going to do. And so today what I want to do is just look at a couple of promises that I, that I, that I pray uh, we make with each other that are going to help us through those tough times. And I pray these thoughts to speak to all of, speak to all of us today, regardless of the relationships we're in. If we're going to navigate the tough seasons in a marriage, number one, we need to promise to respond and not react. We need to promise to respond and not react. We need to decide when we face challenges, are we going to react to situations or respond to situations? Are you a reactor or a responder? <laughs> My experiences has been that when, well, I'm going to take it personally, when, we, when I react to situations, you know, I, you know, normally I say things I wish I hadn't said. 
Can I hear an amen? Do I have any friends out there? Yeah, there's one or two. I thought this was a holy church, for goodness sake. We say things we wish we hadn't said, do things we regret. We make a fool of ourselves. And here's the issue. Often the pain of the words that have been spoken can linger way after the conflict has been resolved. Things are said and, and you can resolve the conflict, but those, those words can linger even often after the, result, the, the issue's been resolved. Someone said life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you respond. The Bible says about Jesus, when they heard their insults at Him, He didn't retaliate. He didn't react. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. I think about Jesus and the words that were being spoken, the things were being done. Man, if it was me on the cross, you're glad it wasn't me on the cross. <laughs> oh man, and, and Jesus did not react. You know, he could have easily caught a legion of angels fire from heaven, but he refused because he knew that there was something bigger going on. He could see he, there was a natural situation, Roman soldiers, you know, accusing him and, 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 and going against him. But, but Jesus could see the bigger picture. And as a result of, it, of, of that, he didn't react, he responded. James says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be, you know, we know the scripture. I've said it a few times recently, but everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness, the righteous life that God wants to produce inside of you and me. In other words, James is saying, don't react to what seems obvious. Don't jump to conclusions. Stop and think it through. Because often there's more to a situation than meets the eye. If you just stop and reflect, ask questions, you might respond differently. I remember uh, when I was doing psych, uh, my supervisor said, he gave me some wisdom. He said, the, the problem the person comes with is never the problem. And because I'm, 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 I'm fast. Someone comes in with a problem? I can do it in 10 minutes, seriously. <laughs> Bang. It's point one, two, three, four, we're done. Um, the problem is never the problem, and the answer that you think is the answer is never the answer. And the only way you're going to get there is by stopping and listening, which isn't one of my great <laughs> qualities. Um, but by God's grace, I'm going to get better. Because if we stop and listen, we won't react but we'll respond. Last week I referred to a book by John Gottman. I thoroughly recommend every couple to read it. It's The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. He and his wife did some research on married couples. They set up a, a unit, cameras and microphones everywhere. Couples knew that they were being, you know, taped and so on, and they were told to discuss a sensitive topic. Actually, they were, they were told to have an argument in, in, in the context of this. So they watched how they communicated through that sensitive topic and how they argued and then followed them up five, ten uh, years later. And out of the research, they found that couples whose marriage did not last argued in a certain way. There were certain elements in how they spoke to each other 
And when couples spoke to each other in this particular way, 90% of the time the relationship uh, ended in marriage. So out, out of this research, uh, they came up with these seven principles that they found that couples that actually do really well have these sem seven principles in there and couples that don't uh, and didn't have some of these. But in, in particular, when it comes to resolving conflict, they found, they identified four destructive ways of communicating. And they called them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Pull it straight out of Scripture, the book of Revelation. Uh, essentially, when you see the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know the end is near. All right. So uh, if they're circling, you know, then you know, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is about to return. And, and so they called these the four horsemen of the apocalypse and, and because it, how it related to marriage, because they're basically saying, if you see these circling your home, you know that the home is in trouble. So let me give them to you really quickly, but you're going to have to read the book to actually kind of get a real understanding of what they are. The first is criticism. Um, you can write that down in your notes. I think I've, I've, I've put that in. Um, yes, I have. Criticism. Uh, that's verbally attacking your spouse. Like there's something wrong. Uh, sorry. Um, uh, working, uh, sorry. Verbally attacking your spouse's personality and character. You know, you always do this. You never do it right. You know, get with the program. You know, it's criticism. Uh, the second one is uh, contempt, which goes a little deeper uh, and it's m much stronger uh, in, its, uh, in, in its potency in terms of doing damage. It attacks the person like there's something wrong with them. You know, it's the rolling of the eyes. Come on, everybody, just do the rolling of the eyes. Come on, Elizabeth. Come on, I know you know how to do this. Come on, you, 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 you know, you, your spouse says something, does something, your friend, and you're, it's not easy to do the rolling of the eyes. You should try. <laughs> but you've got to be in the, you've got to have the right situation to do it in because then it's just beautiful. They just roll so quickly. And it's, no word has been spoken. Nothing has been said. No, no, no damaging words of it, but there's a lot that's been spoken. Can I hear an amen? It's contempt. It's what's wrong with you. Um, you, you're just like your mother, you're just like your father. It's contempt because it says there's something wrong with you. The third one is defensiveness, seeing self as the victim and always defending yourself from perceived attack. So when something is spoken that's perceived as an, as a, as an attack, you immediately go to the cupboard and you get the, the, the boxing gloves out, you put them on and you, you take a defensive position and you try to defend your position or your actions or what you've said, defensiveness. First, fourth one is stonewalling. And that's withdrawing from the relationship as a way to avoid or control conflict. It's, it's probably, to me, the, contempt is pretty bad, but stonewalling is just destructive. I'm going to come back to that um, in, just, um, in, just, in, just a in a while. And these, these horsemen are circling our homes, you know, waiting for an opportunity get, to get in. It's kind of the picture that I get in my head of this is I, I see these four horsemen kind of, kind of you know, they're, they're circling around our home. They're not inside yet, but they're, they're circling and they're waiting for, for an opportunity to come in and, and, and to take residence. Gottman say we need to be aware of these issues and just change how we communicate. If they are present, we can learn how to actually uh, change how we communicate in those sections in those particular uh, situations. And what they suggest, and without going into all the detail, because really you need to read it, and, and he goes into detail about how to deal with it, but this is my, my interpretation. Um, the, what they're essentially saying is, is, is um, instead of reacting or defending yourself, 
or going on the attack, just stop and just try and understand where the other person is coming from. Don't react. Just try and understand. Ask questions. What do you mean? What's happening? Help me to understand. Again, it goes back to the scripture we said before. It comes out, be, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Just slow down and you might avoid it altogether. Learn to respond and not react. And isn't that what the Bible also says when it says, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Just clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with humility, gentleness and patience. And many people know we need the grace of God to do that in Jesus' name. Because when you're in that situation, you're not thinking Colossians, I can assure you. You're not thinking the teaching of Ephesians, I can assure you. It takes the grace of God. It's something we learn. And, 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 and the best way to, to deal with that is just, uh, we talked about this in the message on anger. I preached a few weeks ago. You can go back to that anger. But, but when you see it coming up, you feel the anger coming up. You can, you can feel it coming up. And, and it's to learn those initial signs and then go, hey, listen, if we, just, if, we just, if we just stay here, something, something not good is going to happen, you know. And the whole idea of the anger coming up is the body is getting ready to either fight or run. And uh, when that happens, blood rushes to your head, uh, your heart pumps faster, adrenaline is released. And that's why we say dumb things and do dumb things because we're not thinking straight anymore. And so the best thing to do is just back off. Learn to respond and not, not to react. If we're going to navigate the tough seasons, we need to promise to focus on the good, not the bad. We live in a world which tends to magnify, that's number two, by the way. We live in a world which tends to magnify weakness and faults and mistakes. The glass is always half empty. Child comes home with a report card with three A's and a B. And what do we focus on? The B. You have one pimple on a perfectly clean face. That's for the second service. That's with the young people. I'm trying to connect with them. Uh, we tend to generally focus on what's negative, and so too in marriage. In marriage, we need to make a decision. Are we going to focus on the bad or the good? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. We need to learn that instead of keeping a record of wrongs, we need to learn to keep a record of rights. Because what we tend to do, to, the default is always to go back to the wrongs instead of going back to the rights. Because usually there's more right than wrong, but we always tend to focus or magnify what's wrong. In marriage, no two people are ever the same. And often it's the differences that bring people together. And even in relationship, in friendship, it's the same. The extrovert marries the introvert to balance their personality. You know, um, the disciplined, structured person loves the spontaneity of the, you know, of the happy-go-lucky person. How many people can see a disaster waiting to happen, you know? The social person marries the person that loves being by themselves. They're so, they're so at peace by themselves. And it's all beautiful until they until they spend time together and get married. And someone said, before marriage, opposites attract, and after marriage, they attack. <laughs> um, 
And in a relationship, we need to decide, are we going to focus on the wrongs, on the differences, on what separates us, or are we going to focus on what unites us? When I do, you know, marriage, uh, uh, pre-marriage lessons, we talk about some of the differences that can actually cause that conflict. We, we, and there's so many differences in relation to, to, to marriage. There's gender differences and personality differences and upbringing differences and cultural differences and on, on and on it goes. And those differences can either be used to strengthen the relationship uh, or they can be used to weaken the relationship. It all depends on our perspective, on how, on how, on how we, how we actually see them, and how we actually view those things. That's why Paul says to the Philippians, "Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Think about the good." You know, our thinking tends to always go down into the gutter. All we see is the, we look at our nation and we see all the problems in our nation. Well, we don't know what problems are. We need to go to some nations where there's some real problems in the nation. Can I hear an amen? amen? We look at our medical system and we go, oh, yeah, we haven't seen, we've got to thank God we live in this nation of Australia. Can I hear an amen? Some of us need to stop and say, thank you. Thank, thank God for, for the blessings that we have in this. In the, and in, in, so too in relationships. This is never going to be perfect. Focus on what's good. Focus on, 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 on what we do have instead of focusing on the negative. Now, that doesn't mean we sweep issues under the carpet. I want to make that really clear. We tackle the things that need changing. I'm not saying just sweep, sweep issues under the carpet, especially serious issues. But the spirit and the context is not to bring the other person down. It's to actually build. It, it's, to, it's to bring two people closer together. It's to bring healing and restoration. Conflict, when dealt with in the, in the correct way and with the right spirit, will always bring couples closer together, will always bring friends closer together. And we can spend our whole life trying to change each other or we can focus on encouraging the good. Paul says to the Ephesians, I love this scripture, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. We have a devil that wants to divide us. We have an enemy that wants to separate us. Man, whenever you see division, you see the enemy at work. Whenever you see division in a marriage, in a home, whenever you see division in the context of a church, you will always see the enemy at work. Paul says to the Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit because it's going to require intentionality. It's not just going to happen through the Spirit. Psalm 133 says, I love this. It says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It's as the Jew of Hermon when falling on Mount, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, life forevermore. Something about unity. There's something about togetherness. There's something about, you know, a group of different people all, all uh, 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 you know, um, working in the same direction. It's what makes a symphony orchestra so powerful. It's not the sameness, it's the differences. It's the different instruments all playing in the same tune. And I love what the Word of God says because we kind of apply this to a church, but it also applies to a home, to a marriage where there's unity. God bestows, He commands, says the King James, He commands His blessing. Again, please understand that doesn't mean we sweep issues under the carpet. We deal with issues. I want to make that really clear. But overall, we promise to focus on the good, not the bad. We encourage the good. We express appreciation for the good. 
If we're going to navigate the tough seasons in a marriage, we also need to promise to talk and not to walk. To talk and not to walk. It's a promise, I promise, that in those tough seasons, we're going to talk and not walk. And while you can't make the promise or the decision for someone else, you can make it for yourself. And I, I love this promise because I'm convinced that if couples keep talking, they will resolve their conflict. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 18, it talks about how to resolve conflicts. So you go to the person just between the two of you uh, and, and, and resolve it. Often when there's conflict, we go to everybody else instead of going to the person. You go to the person just between the two of you. And if you can't, then bring somebody else in that's going to help you resolve that. The Bible says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Uh, the King James Version there uses the word cleave instead of united. Um, and the, the concept there is if you stick two pieces of paper together and try and separate them, it's messy, it's ugly, it's always ugly. And to promise to talk and not to walk means we're going to stick together like Lou. Make a promise with each other. They're going to do whatever it takes. Stay together, work through the issues, work through the challenges. Nothing but death is going to separate us. Again, problem is never conflict. It's always about how we deal with it. And, and the sooner you deal with it, the easier it is to resolve. The sooner we deal with it, the easier it is to resolve. Again, the writer to the Hebrews says, See too that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. How, how, how true that is in the context of a relationship. Um, and couples stop talking, a root of bitterness can start, to, can start to grow. Despair can set in, a sense of hopelessness. Nothing's ever going to change. It's always going to be like this. What's the point? Might as well go our separate ways. That's why stonewalling, that's why, you know, the silent treatment is so destructive. It's so destructive. Because the only way you're going to work through a conflict is by talking about it. It's talking. It's the talking that somehow is going to bring healing and stonewalling cuts that off. And once you allow that horseman into your house, then the other three will just follow in. They, 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 they just follow in and, 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 and make room. And I love what the scripture says. Don't let, it, don't, 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 don't let anger, uh, don't give the devil a foothold. It says, you know, deal with anger quickly. Um, nothing wrong with anger is not a sin. In, in your anger, do not sin. Uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with it quickly and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let the four horsemen into your house and into a room because once they're in there, they're going to destroy everything. Pastor Joe, it's easy. It's hard. It's hard work. But you know what? It's worth it. Come on, it's worth it. It's worth it. People know it's worth it. Everyone knows it's worth it. That's why despite the statistics, people are still lining up to get married because they know this can work. And when it works, it's amazing. It can work. Promise to talk and not to walk is a promise to do whatever it takes. It's a promise to keep on talking. It's a promise to say we're going to find a way, get through this by the grace of God. It's saying that the love that was there in the courtship is going to get us through the struggle. Remember the good old days? That love that got us through the first year, the first five, the first 10, the first 15 is the love that's going to get us through the challenge by the grace of God. We got through 10 years, we're going to get through the next 10 in the name of Jesus. 
And if needed, we're going to get help. Paul says about love, 1 Corinthians 13 uh, is the chapter that's read um, in, in, in most weddings. Um, it's really, a ch it's kind of speaking about the context of spiritual gifts, but it certainly applies because it, it describes the love of God. Amen. And it says love always hopes and always perseveres. Always perseveres. Pastor Joe, is there a time where you don't? There are times where you don't. In, in, when a relationship is abusive and uh, there, there are times when, when, when that needs to happen. I'm not saying that there isn't. But, but by and large, we, 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 we keep pressing in until we find an answer in the name of Jesus. And ultimately, if we're going to experience a great marriage, we need the presence of God. Uh, ultimately, if we're going to experience the kind of relationship that God wants us to have, we, we need the grace of God. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> we need the grace of God. The Bible says uh, two is better than one because of this productivity, but a cord of, of three strands is not easily broken. And I love that because for me, the image of that third person is Christ. And, you know, we often say it's kind of a bit of a cliche, but as, as, as couples get nearer to Christ, they get nearer to each other. As, as the husband, the wife get, gets nearer to Jesus, then they get nearer, closer to each other. There's a direct relationship between those two things. There's a direct re relation between, relationship between commandment number one and commandment number two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. There's a correlation between those two things that as you love God, the more you love God, the more you will love each other. Because ultimately, what we need in our relationships is we need Jesus. We need the Spirit of God. Yes, we can learn from books, seminars, and all of that's important. Knowledge is, is very important. But ultimately, what we need is the Spirit of God amongst us. Because what's going to help us push through those tough seasons, get to the other side, work through the differences, turn towards our spouse instead of seeking revenge. It's going to be the grace of God. It's the grace of God that's going to help us in those moments when we're going to say, what I want to do is walk, but instead of walking, I'm going to stay and I'm going to talk. It's to say sorry. I've, I've always found that, 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 that once, once one person says sorry, it opens the door to start heading in the right direction. To push through. It's one person. It's all it takes. And then, and then, and then, because when you're, when you're fighting, it just gets worse and worse. Oh, you think, and all it takes is for one person to say, hey, I'm sorry. And then, and then some, suddenly something's broken. Sun, suddenly that spiral is broken. And what causes you to say that? I tell you what causes, the only thing that's going to cause you, let me check chapter four, Gottman. What does he say here? <laughs> Ain't going to help you. It's the Spirit of God that's going to help you. It's the Spirit of God that's inside of you that goes, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. It's a broken spirit. The only person that can do that is God. Jesus said, Moses allowed divorce because of a stubborn heart. Jesus doesn't say, well, Moses allowed divorce because they didn't do the marriage course. If they'd done the marriage course, it would have been okay. No, it wasn't the marriage course. It was a stubborn heart. It's a heart issue. It's always about the heart. 
In Bible times, stones were used to either inflict punishment, retribution for wrongdoing, a payment for sin, or those same stones could be used to build an altar to the Lord. In relationships, we can either pick up stones and throw them at each other, or we can pick up stones and build an altar and seek God. Bible tells us the story of Jacob. Jacob falls in love with Rachel. He asks Laban for her hand in marriage. He says, you need to work for seven years. On the wedding night, he gets the older sister, Leah. He marries Rachel a week later, but he has to work for another seven years. In total, Jacob worked for Laban for 20 years. And Laban was continually changing the salary. Promised to pay him one thing, could see the blessing of God on Jacob, change the salary. In fact, the Bible says it happened 10 times. Jacob gets to a point and he's had enough. And he decides to separate from Laban. So one night he leaves taking everything that he has, uh, all the livestock, his wives, his children, and Laban doesn't know. So Laban finds out a few days later and he gets angry. And he goes after him. It's a band of men together and off they go towards Jacob. It's going to fight him. It's going to get back at him. He's going to do him harm, the Bible says. His intention was not good. His intention was to do harm. But before, on the night before Laban was about to have his confrontation with Jacob, it's beautiful. God appears to him. God appears to Laban. And he says, don't you, do what you're, don't you dare do what you're about to do. Don't you, don't you dare do what you're about to do. There's another way. I, I, I love that. Because in the natural, this was, this was heading towards a disaster. And then God steps in. And that would be a word for someone. Don't, don't do what you're about to do. It's, 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 it's not good. Don't do it. So Laban says to Jacob, he, after his encounter with God, he comes to Jacob with a different spirit. It's now a spirit of reconciliation. It's now a spirit to do good. It's now a spirit for good and not for harm. It's now a spirit, let's work this out. How did that happen? He had an encounter with God. So Laban says, come now, let's make a covenant, a promise. And let us serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone, set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took the stones and piled them up in a heap. And they ate there by the, by the heap of stones. Laban says, uh, the stones were used as, a, as, a, as, a, um, as an altar, as a memorial. And, God, and he says, instead of fighting, let's allow God to heal our hearts. And they ate a meal and sealed a promise. Here were two people that were about to, wasn't good what was about to happen. But Laban has an encounter with God and his heart is transformed. First miracle that Jesus ever performed was at a wedding. It's in John chapter one, two, three. It's at a wedding. What does he do? He changes water into wine. I think it's significant. Because if a marriage is going to work, it requires the touch of God, the grace of God. 
the Spirit of God. It needs a miracle. Something more than just a principle. Otherwise, in the natural, if, 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 if we don't have the touch of God and left to our own devices, society's telling us where that's going to end up. 50% are going to struggle. So how do we get through those tough seasons in a relationship? One way is to make a promise. We promise. A promise by the grace of God to respond and not react. I promise to focus on the good. I promise to talk and not to walk. And ultimately what we need is an encounter with God that changes our heart. That's why we find that room. That's why, that's why, the, battle is, that's why the battle is first and foremost a spiritual battle. And we find a room and we go and pray. And we pray every day. We pray for our marriage in the good times. We pray. I pray for my spouse. I pray for, for our family. I pray. We pray. We pray. We pray together. We, 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 we seek God. Anna and I, before we, most mornings, every, before we start the day, let's just pray. It's a one minute prayer. It's nothing, you know, oh Lord, we beseech. No, it's just 30 seconds, 50 a minute. We pray. Before we go to bed, hold hands, pray. It's just, it's a, it's, 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 it's a, you're setting something in stone. That the core of our marriage is prayer. Why do we pray before we eat? Because we collected the food. We paid for the food. We cooked, well, we cooked the food. Uh, someone cooked the food. Uh, you know, we, we set the table. We put it, we, 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 we. No, we, we, the danger is we think we did it all ourselves. And so we pray. And we say, Father, we just thank You for Your grace and mercy. And we thank you for this food that has been provided for us. Be glorified. It's a recognition that if we're here, it's by the grace of God. In marriage, we pray. We do the best we can, but we pray because we recognise it's only by the Spirit of God that we can be here. John says we love because He first loved us. When you've experienced the love of God, when you've experienced the touch of God, it enables you to love the unlovable. It, it enables you in that moment where you can either talk or walk, it enables you to say, wait a minute, God has forgiven me when much, 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 much more. What is, what is it gonna take for me to forgive? There's nothing. Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart. And put in a different spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Be careful to keep my laws. So I, I, we, we, we read this at Life Group. It's I, listen, who's going to take responsibility for the change of heart? It's God. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone, your stubborn heart. And I will give you a heart of flesh that's able to feel and I'm going to put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's, the, it's God who takes responsibility to, put, to change our hearts. And, and that's what happens when we give our life to Jesus. When we open our hearts to Jesus, we say, Lord Jesus, be the Lord and Saviour of my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to, want to follow after you. There's a transformation that happens in our spirit. We get a new heart. A new spirit. Where the flesh wants to. The spirit says, put those down. Say sorry. I don't want to say. <laughs> it's the spirit that helps us. When we experience the love of God, it enables us to love each other. 
closer we get to God, the more of his love we will experience. And it's his love that will help us have a great marriage, a great relationship. It's his love that will help us find reconciliation and healing by his grace and for his glory. Nehemiah says, don't be afraid of them. Pastor Joe, society, it's not society. Don't be afraid of society, the government, the devil. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is mighty and powerful and fight for your family, your children, your wives. And by His grace and for His glory, we will experience the kind of relationships, the kind of marriages that God want us to have. We will beat that 50% by the grace of God. In Jesus' name. Pastor Joe, and let me just say this. Um, if things are challenging, get help. There's plenty of help out there. You don't have to suffer. If you're struggling, get help. It's okay. There, there, there are people that can help. That's what the, it's, Jesus says. And ultimately, by His grace, He's going to see us through. I was thinking about how to finish today, and uh, just this, here's what I'd like to do. Is... Um, uh, I was looking at the data, uh, so that 50% data and, um, you know, when is it that people are most vulnerable? And it, it, the, the data said zero to 10 years is the most vulnerable. And I'm going to push that out a little bit. So I'm going to push it to 15. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for couples that have been married for 15 years or less. If that's you, I want you to just stand to your feet. Just 15 years or less. I want to, I want to pray for you. If you're 16, unfortunately, if you want to get up, you can get up anyway, all right? If you're longer than that and you want to be prayed for, then you can get up as well, all right? But uh, this is the vulnerable, vulnerable age. And I pray for you in Jesus' name that God is going to protect you. By His grace, He's going to protect you. Because two are better than one. But a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And I'm going to pray above all else that Christ is going to rule in your home. That He's going to build a hedge of protection around your marriage, and around your family. And that when the enemy comes in like a flood, it's going to build up a standard, build up a wall against him. There's no weapon formed against us shall prosper in Jesus' name. And that you will experience the kind of relationship that God wants you to experience. So Father, we just come before you at this time. Come on, church, let's pray together. Father, we just pray for every couple that's represented here today. Father, we thank you that marriage was not man's idea, but your idea, Lord. And when you thought about marriage... Father, you, your vision was a good vision, <laughs> kind of relationship we all want to have. Father, you know that the enemy came to kill, has come to kill, steal, and destroy, especially in the area of family and marriage. So reach out by the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. Just reach out by the Spirit of God. Every relationship in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just protect every relationship in Jesus' name. Cover them with your blood. Build a hedge of protection around them. Let the Spirit of God um, 
be real in their hearts and in their lives and in their homes, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Protect and guide by your spirit. And I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's all stand together. And Father, we just thank you for your spirit. We recognize that it's not by might, not by power, not because of our knowledge, not because of a book we read, not because of a seminar we went to, not because we try really hard. Father, we recognize that it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So we depend on your spirit and we depend on your grace. I pray for every home, every marriage that's represented here. Father, those that are going through a tough time right now, Lord God, those whose marriage is hanging on by a thread, I just pray, reach out by the Spirit of God. Do what only you can do, Lord God. Give wisdom and grace, I pray, so that we can be everything you've called us to be. This we pray and ask in Jesus' name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.